Welcome to night four of the Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. We are in Rochester, Minnesota, and it has been a long week. It feels a little bit more like a month sometimes. Everybody, we have had a really good group of scouts out here on the uh, Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. It would be wrong if we go any further without saying thank you to them. All right, let's get to the numbers. Brian, Iowa, how'd it look? Iowa corn, 182.8 bushels per acre, and that was down 2.9% from what we found last year on Crop Tour. And, uh, you know, USDA in August 1, uh, 191 was down 2.6%, so the, the percentage changes are lining up pretty closely there on, on uh, Iowa. Uh, you know, it wasn't the best crop by any means we've seen in Iowa, and far from it, actually, in some of the areas. Uh, there was some variability and things like that, and I think that's what's going to hold it down from being a really good Iowa crop All right, this year. what about that bean crop there? The bean crop uh, pod counts in Iowa. 1107 down 8.4%. Okay. So, um, you know, continuing on with the trend of uh, reduction year over year in pod counts, big pod counts last year, not nearly so much this year. All right, that is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady, the leader of the eastern leg of the Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. Let's go to Senior Market Analyst Jeff Wilson, the leader of the western leg of the Pro Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. What would you get for Minnesota? Thanks, Chip. We got 170.4 bushels per acre. That's down 4.6% from a year ago's tour average. And USDA earlier this month forecast a 4.9% decline in Minnesota to 173 bushels. The uh, the story there is uh, there's there's a fair amount of uh, green green snap. There's yes. a lot of wind damage. There's some there's some PP up there which we don't worry about, but. You can see the holes from time to time in the fields themselves, which is part of the harvested acres number. Absolutely, and on soybeans. On the soybeans, we're looking at 956.3 uh, pods per three foot I by three foot. I think that's 965.3, isn't it? Yes, it is. There you go. Dyslexia. Yeah. Nine, 965, and that's down 11.5% from a year ago, uh, and USDA said... 8.9% uh, decline from a year ago at 46 bushels per acre. Exactly. All right, Brian, let's get a uh, – we didn't get the Illinois numbers out there in the podcast last night. Let's go ahead and, and recap that quick. Okay, 171.2 was the yield on corn, down 11.1%, and the soybean pod count, 997.7, down 24.9%, so almost a 25% reduction. Huge pod count reductions across the eastern corn belt this year. Tell me about the maturity of that Illinois crop real quick. Uh, focus on on uh, on corn, if you would, because uh, – and, hey, just heads up here, everybody. In just a few moments, when we wrap up our conversation on what we saw, Lance Honig, the chief of the crops branch at USDA NASA, is going to be joining us. Uh, the maturity on that Illinois corn crop, it improved as you went east to west? It did. Uh, the eastern side was very immature. Uh, northwestern was immature. Uh, but in that west central area, we saw a much more mature crop. But I wouldn't say it's more mature than what we would normally see on crop yeah. tour. It's just maybe average in some of the best of the fields, uh, yeah. maturity-wise. You know, they like to call them the sins of the spring, all right? Um, if you make a mistake planting, it's going to show up in the fall. I wouldn't call it a sin this year. It's a forced error. Mm -hmm. 
is what it is. Well, it, it's Mother Nature's yes. impact or wrath or whatever you want to say, and we saw plenty of it throughout the week. Right, right. So that is something that we saw across the Corn Belt, including in Iowa. We, you know, Iowa, like you said, Brian, it, it's a it's a decent crop. It's not a great crop there at all. Uh, Jeff, obviously, South Dakota is where we're worried about the maturity the most. But what did you see in Minnesota today? Minnesota, we saw a, a crop that's behind. It's a crop that needs daylight or sunlight. Mm-hmm. It needs dry weather. It really needs that low humidity, mm-hmm. and it needs a warmer temperature. I mean, today the temperature was 69 degrees while we're driving across. Yeah. That's not warm enough. Yeah. And the, and the story is that it's going to take five weeks for some of that crop to reach. I mean, we picked some some corn today that was probably just uh, tasseled two weeks ago, and there was a little bit in dough. But it's, it needs to push along. And the beans are also a little bit behind, so they need to push as well because the, the beans are relatively flat in those pods right now. Okay. Iowa, maturity. Iowa's a state with three different crops, three different corn crops. Got that late April planted crop, got the Mother's Day crop, and got June mm-hmm. planted corn. And, and we saw some of all of it. Yeah. And uh, I saw some of all of it on my particular route today. Mm-hmm. Uh so, you know, the vast majority, I would say, what I saw on the eastern side of the state isn't going to have a problem getting to the finish line unless we end the growing season early. Right. Now, there is a portion out there, those pockets, that uh, will need some extra time. So uh, it, it's kind of all over the board in, in terms of maturity in Iowa. And uh, yeah, probably more so, it, it's probably most like Illinois that way, uh, but it's more mature than the far eastern Corn Belt, where it is in Ohio and Indiana. Final impressions. Final impressions. I just wasn't impressed with Iowa, to be honest with you. But my overall takeaway is the soybean pod counts. Holy yeah. cow! I mean, yeah. it, they were shockingly low to me coming we, across the Corn Belt. We've got two over a thousand. Nebraska at twelve ten. Iowa at eleven oh seven. And last year, every state every, we sampled was over a thousand. Yeah, South Dakota was at ten twenty five last year. Uh, and then the next lowest, I believe, was tw- well, that it was ten ninety in Minnesota, twelve oh eight in Iowa. Uh, but it, it, they were awesome pod counts last year. These are not normal. No, no. no. The the impacts of the spring are evident. Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I've said it multiple times through the week, but uh, they look like double crop soybeans in some yeah. cases, and they may perform that way when exactly. all said and done. Exactly. Jeff, final impressions from the West. South Dakota is a lot like the Eastern Corn Belt. Yeah. It needs a lot of time. There's a lot of uh, time to make up in a short, a lot of, a lot of crop to push in a yeah. short period of time, and the, uh, you know, Nebraska is just an average crop. It's good, and I think that's a. People were thinking that uh, that Nebraska would make up for the problems in Illinois this year, and I don't see it that way. Do you? No. What 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 has happened is the, the irrigated crop is good, right? But it's not great, and the dryland crop. Is is very good, yeah, and but, but it's not enough to push up, right? Because it's like there's like a roof on top of yep from from the irrigated crop, yep, and it's just it's stuck there. It's 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 good. It's yep. very good, and it's gonna and it's gonna produce a lot but, of bushels. But the irrigated corn put a cap on that yield. That's correct, in Nebraska, and that's yeah. definitely related to being planted late, having some compaction yeah. problems, and and there was a little bit of dryness at one period of time before the guys crop tour is over. Uh, great job. 
want to thank one other person, Emily Carlin, managed all the data while we were out here on the road. Davis Michelson helping us out with AgriTalk. Megan Peterson holding the fort down. Uh, and Vic, Vic. Megan. What did I call her? You called her maiden Megan, name. Her maiden name. Megan Vic. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Megan Vic uh, holding the fort down uh, back in Cedar Falls for Pro Farmer this week. A, a lot of effort uh, uh, was put into this crop tour. Just like there is always a lot of effort put into the crop production reports, the acreage reports, the cattle on feed reports. I don't care what it is. If it's a survey and it's done at NAS. Uh, it, it, it's a it's a lot of work, and a lot of work goes into it. Let's talk with Lance Honig now. Lance is the director of the crops division there at NAS in Washington D.C. Lance, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Chip. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You bet. You bet, Lance. Um, unfortunately, everybody needs to understand that Lance wanted to be with us in Nebraska City. He wanted to be with us in Iowa City, and he wanted to be with us here tonight in Rochester, and, and that just isn't possible. Uh, but Lance was still out here in the Midwest. He was still talking with farmers, and, and we're, we're, we're happy to have, uh, have uh, the conversation with him about some of the issues. And, and Lance, um, you know, I just – the acreage is part of the question, but let's start with this. And this – I'll ask it like I think a lot of farmers have asked the question, and I asked you it this way the other night, but I'm going to do it again. How in the world, how in the world could you go up on corn yield at 166 in July to 169 and a half in August? Well, Chip, first we have to remember that we're, we're really talking about two different numbers. It's not really a continuation. Uh, if you look at the, uh, the yield that's published in the WASDE report in July, that's done by the World Ag Outlook Board. Right. That's before any survey work is done at NAS. So they're looking at trend. They're looking at weather. And that's, you know, mostly it. And so when we get moving ahead to August and NAS enters the equation, we're doing surveys. We surveyed nearly 21,000 farmers. We asked them, how much do you expect your crops to yield? this year and we supplemented that with some satellite information that mm -hmm. we used to forecast yield as well and that's how we came up with 169.5 on corn uh, because it's now survey based and you know you add on to that it's a month later you know in july you've got really nothing to look at with the crop, right. and so you're looking at much better information a lot more complete information uh, just based on how we do it and because the crop's a month further along. So it's two separate independent numbers. Right. Brian Grady, in the conversation that you had with him last night, he, he asked a great question, and that was about the objective yield sample plots. Um, for the first time, uh, NAS didn't go to those plots for the August crop production reports. You're saving them for September uh, some say that it was a bad decision because we need all the information that we can get. I, Brian and I are in agreement that you kind of lucked out, Lance, because there was no information out there to get anyway. It was genius foresight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you're right because we did make that decision back in the spring. In fact, we announced it back in March uh, that we were doing that. And, and, you know, even in a, a normal year or, yeah. you know, whatever normal is, something more normal than this year, the crop's not that mature at the end of July. And that last week of July, that's when that objective yield 
uh, field work would have been done. Uh, and certainly this year would have been even less mature. Yeah. So the bottom line is, even in past years, in August, we were really hanging our hat on the farmer reported yields anyway. Right. Um, so we wanted to focus our efforts there. You know, we always want to be as efficient as we can with the resources that we have. And that's that's why we made that decision. And I would say, yeah, if you look at this year in particular, uh, I'm not sure what we would have found the last week of July, to be honest with you. But uh, anyway, that's what we did. And, uh, you know, basically... We've got the same information that we had except for that. But moving yep. forward, we're going to pull that in this coming month. Yep. So it's only going to get even better what we've got to work with. Hey, Lance, on the, the satellite imagery that you used, uh, talk us through that process. And will that continue on uh, into September, October, November, and, and January? So, yeah, we keep using the satellite uh, information as time goes on. Uh, you know, it will stop at some point just because as the crop matures, you know, to a certain level, yeah. of course, it'll go on a little bit longer this year than most. But, you know, at a certain point, it doesn't do any good to, to see what the satellite's showing you anymore because the crop's too far along. Right. Uh, but we will, just as we've done in the past. So the satellite information isn't anything new to us either. Uh, it certainly has gotten better in recent years. You know, advancements in technology. We've got better sensors uh, that can pick up uh, things at a much more granular level. Uh, but the bottom line is we've been looking at that data for years and years. Gotcha. Lance, we have a question about uh, the prevent plant acres. It's a big number this year. You know, how does that uh, work into your equation in terms of making a crop forecast? And is it have, uh, I mean, basically, uh, it's not really a number you have to use when you, uh, when you make your crop forecast, but just tell us a little bit how, how, how you view prevent plant acres and where you get those from. So generally speaking, prevent plant acres are a non-factor uh, with NAS numbers. If you think about it, uh, you know, if you look at NAS acreage planted area, that always reflects acres that were actually planted to each of those crops. Uh, and of course, by definition, prevent plant acres were not planted, so therefore they're not included in the planted number for NAS. Uh, harvested is just it's just a subset of what was planted, right? So they're clearly not there either. Uh, if you look at how we calculate production, we take a harvested area, we multiply that times an average yield, and we get a production number. So if the prevent plant's not in the planted, which it isn't, it can't be in the harvested. And because it's not in the harvested, it doesn't contribute to the production. So it's a non-issue there. But that doesn't mean that, A, we don't, you know, that we're not aware of it or that we don't pay attention to it. We know it's there. Um, and in fact, I would suggest to you it still makes sense. Uh, you've really got to look across crops, though. If you look at our 22 major crops, what we would call the principal crop totals, uh, you know, if you look at where we're at right now on that number and you compare that, uh, to the most yep. recent high was just back in 2014. You know, we're down more than 20 million acres. And right. if you look at the total of the prevent plant acres that were reported to FSA so far, it's a little over 19 million acres. So, yep. you know, if you look across the crops, it makes sense. Yep. Yep. Um, guys, I think we've we've covered the the really critical issues that we wanted to cover with, with uh, Lance, I do believe. But I... You can't let you go, Lance, without saying this. Um, your efforts to communicate with growers, very impressive, sir. Um, it, it, uh, it has been a challenging year, to say the least, for the growers out there. 
I know that you've taken a lot of heat about the crop production estimates uh, that that came out in in August, and uh, emotions are running high. Uh, but we've been talking to you since those numbers were released on August twelfth, and the consistency of your message is unbelievable, Lance. It it really is, and it just there, there's no wiggle room when you're telling the when, when you're being completely honest on the process is there well that's exactly right chip and you know that's what we want to do and that's why i have been uh tried to be so transparent whether it's on twitter or you know getting out uh here this week on the crop tour or wherever i might go uh you know i want to interact with folks because number one I want them to understand what we do. We want to be as clear about our process as we can possibly be, because as valuable as the numbers are, understanding how they're put together, is, I would say, equally important. And so that's all about us communicating and being open to answer questions and share what we can uh, every opportunity we get. So certainly it's been helpful for me uh, to have you allow me to come on and talk about some of these things, and I'm going to continue to do that as long as I possibly can. Good stuff, Lance. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Really appreciate it. That is Lance Honig, the chief of the crops branch at USDA NAS. You guys, I, 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 I mean, I, I understand the emotion behind these crop estimates. I understand the frustration. I understand the, um, you know, it, it, it's pain that some of the guys are feeling out there. I, I get all that. The numbers are what the numbers are. And there are people out there that argue that we might be better off without these numbers from NAS, that we might be better off without the supply and demand estimates from the World Board. Um, I don't agree with that. Market needs information. The market needs the best information that it can get at its earliest point. And that's what helps farmers make the decisions that they need to make, make the best decisions that they can when they need to make those decisions. Objective information. Exactly. That's what they're getting from exactly. USDA. Fair. Is, there's no mixing. I mean, it's a, every time they do a survey, it's the same. They don't change the rules. So as this week has gone on, I've asked myself a couple of times, what in the hell were you thinking when we started this thing or took it over? And... Did a little bit of soul searching, okay? Think about it. I went on the tour four times from 1988 to 1992, that five-year stretch. My first year at, back in Cedar Falls, a pro farmer, the old boss didn't think it was an important enough trip to pay for, so I didn't get to go in 1991. 1992, I helped the former leader, Jim Quentin, run it, and then 1993 was the first year the pro farmer had it. The reason that I pushed for it as hard as we could, guys, is because in that first year, in 1988, when I was on tour, and then it repeated again in 1989, I saw how valuable the information was. I saw how farmers flocked to it. I saw how farmers used it, needed it. And then I started hearing all these stories about, well, you know you're not the only tour. Well, really? We're, we're not? No, I mean, there are professional crop scouts out there. 
all they do is they're in the field. We've got a couple of guys on the western leg of the tour that did 17 days across the Midwest before the tour started. They're going to take a two-day break and do 24 days in the Midwest. They're professional scouts. That's all they do. Grain companies, all the way back to when, in 1988, the first time that I was on the tour, grain companies are sending people out there. Grain buyers, grain importing countries have got people out there all over the Midwest looking at the crop, gathering that information. The reason that we did this is goes straight back to the mission at Pro Farmer. When it started in 1973, right at the top of the list is to pl- was to level the information playing field for the average American farmer. Because we knew that grain companies were getting information. We knew that they were holding it for themselves. We wanted Pro Farmer, Merrill Oster, Jerry Carlson, wanted to level that information field so that farmers could be making decisions marketing decisions business decisions with the same information that grain buyers were using when they were buying the grain that in a nutshell leveling the information playing field is why we have done this now for 27 years um i hope people understand that i really do it's uh it's a discovery process. This year we discovered a lot of uh, information out there in the field. But I think we also discovered a lot about what is going on in the ag community. Some of it is very unfortunate. Um, it is all about leveling the information playing field. I hope everybody out there appreciates um, the effort that the scouts put in when we're out there on the road, the the um, reception that we get at most of the evening meetings is just absolutely unbelievable. Um, we've talked to over 3,000 farmers in the last four days. Brian, 3,000 farmers in four days. Uh, it's incredible. and And like you said... The vast, vast majority of them are, you know, elated to be a part of the process for an evening. There were three that were not. There were three that showed up in Grand Island, Nebraska to yell at Chip Flory in front of a group. That's why they were there. Good for them. They got their job done. Um, But I think you guys got your job done, too. And you uh, put on a heck of a tour this year. Good job, you guys. You know, let's just sign it off. All right? Signing off from the Pearl Farmer Midwest Crop Tour. I'm Chip Flory for Brian Grady and Jeff Wilson. Good job, guys.